Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I'm Sophie. I'm Yelly. And this is She's All Fat, the podcast for fat positivity, radical self-love, and chill vibes only. Sorry, not sorry. Sophie, don't say sorry. Today's episode is The Body is Not an Apology. Okay, then, (laughs) well, thank you, Lynn, for (laughs) writing that joke. I'm so excited for you to hear my chat with Sonia Renee Taylor. But first, let's go to our news corner. Family, did you know we have a voicemail box? That's right. And we want you to call in with your bathroom problems. That's right. We mean it. We want to hear your hashtag just fat things for an episode about all things potty. <laughs> Lynn said parentheses. <laughs> sorry. The way public bathrooms don't fit your body, the way period undies don't come past an XL, those instapics of the bathroom without a mirror, and it just says you're beautiful and sharpie, all those things. I may or may not have once dropped my menstrual cup in the toilet and lost it to the automatic (laughs) flush. (laughs) So that's my bathroom struggle. Give us a call with yours at 213-375-5023 and tell us about a hashtag just fat thing. Just fat thing. Okay, we've got to shout out a beautiful write-up we got in Autostrada last week by the lovely Danny Janae. Thanks, Danny. We love her series on fatness, sex, and more called Anatomy of a Man. Go. Uh, check it out in our show notes. As always, we've got to give a shout out to our amazing patrons. Yelly, what's going on in the Facebook group? Team Paisley Mumu patrons are in the group talking about cozy sweatshirts that fit just right and some amazing fat positive boudoir photos. And as always, our patrons are getting a bonus SAF mini-sode every week. This season, our bonus minisodes are all fatty film school episodes where I bring on a guest to chat with me about fat rep and fat phobia in movies and TV. We've got some real good ones coming up. Sign up at patreon.com slash she's all fat pod for access to all of our fatty film school episodes and more. All right. I think we're ready to not apologize. Not sorry. Here's the episode. Before we turn it over to my interview with Sonia, a quick note that we had to use a backup recording for Sonia's side of the convo, so it might sound like someone sounds over Zoom. No worries, we're used to that here, right? This also means we lost the very beginning of the interview, so I'm going to take a few minutes to introduce or reintroduce the concept of radical self-love, which Sonia and I talk about a lot in this episode. In case you haven't read it yet, here are just a few quotes from the first chapter, The Body is Not an Apology. Okay, here's Sonia's words. While not completely unrelated to self-esteem or self-confidence, radical self-love is its own entity, a lush and verdant island offering safe harbor for self-esteem and self-confidence. Unfortunately, those two ships often choose to wander aimlessly adrift at sea, 
relying on willpower or ego to drive them, and in the absence of those motors are left hopelessly pursuing the fraught mirage of someday. As in, someday I will feel good enough about myself to shop that screenplay I wrote. Here's another quote. The biggest flaw of investing our time in self-esteem and self-confidence is that neither model unto itself has the ability to reorient our world towards justice and compassion. On the contrary, radical self-love builds a foundation strong enough to carry the enormous power of our highest calling while also connecting us to the potential power of all bodies. If radical self-love is an oak tree, it's an essential part of an entire ecosystem. When it grows stronger, the entire system does as well. Radical self-love starts with the individual, expands to the family, community, and organization, and ultimately transforms society, all while still unwaveringly holding you in the center of that expansion. And finally, radical self-love invites us to love our bodies in a way that transforms how we understand and accept the bodies of others. So that's a little preview for you of the wisdom you'll get in The Body is Not an Apology. We talked in the beginning about how radical self-love is about stripping away the things in between you and seeing your own power, which to me is like a really powerful idea. And that also helps me to see it as contrasted to self-confidence, which we often feel we have to reach for. Self-love is in there. Radical self-love is in there. And we just have to clear out all the detritus and garbage that society's put in the way. I hope that helps give you a little foundation on Sonia's words, on some of the ideas Um, about radical self-love that you'll expect if you start to read this amazing book. Now let's jump into that interview. I was just reading the transcript of your interview on Brene Brown's podcast and you talk about the metaphor of a ladder. Like we're all, we're the part, oh boy, can you just summarize it? Like the idea of the ladder that you're talking about so that we can talk about it? I absolutely could do that. So The latter is the system of bodily hierarchy. And the system of bodily hierarchy is oppression, right? It is fat phobia. It is ableism. It is white supremacy. It is all the ways in which our world is organized to deem some bodies more important than other bodies, more valuable than other bodies, and resource those bodies better than they resource other bodies. And our assignment inside of the system of bodily hierarchy is to constantly be trying to situate ourselves higher up the ladder. And the way in which we do that is by being inside of this system of comparison, right? Whether consciously or subconsciously, we are always judging our bodies against other people's bodies for a multitude of reasons. And that is how the ladder maintains itself. Because as long as my sense of self-worth is derived from the necessity for someone to be greater or less than me, I must always live in a world where there are people who are less than me. To dismantle that system, we've got to, <laughs> we have to divest from the ladder. We have yes. to divest from a ladder that says that there needs to be greater and lesser people. I think a lot of people think self-love is accepting your place on the ladder is what, you know. Absolutely. Like- yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Right? And no, that is yeah. not what it is. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Like trying to be like, okay, I'm okay with where I am, but that's not deep enough. That doesn't go deep enough at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm going to borrow that, Sophia. Good. Please. Oh my God. It's just me listening to you. I'm just reflecting on your words. (laughs) I was like, but that's an excellent summation because I really think that's what it, and that's, and I think that's a distinction between like self-acceptance, right? It's like, okay, I'm fine with where I am on the ladder. Yeah. And I'm like, 
No, we want the ladder gone. Yes. We want, who am I if there was no ladder? Yes, exactly. Place for me to make peace with. What if all of that is an illusion? Actually, the job is for me to dismantle my belief that I need to do anything with that ladder. Yes. Turn away from that ladder and turn toward my own inherent sense of enoughness and divinity. Exactly. My God. Okay, I have a question before we get back to the new stuff, because I'm interested in getting to that as well, because that's the part that feels scary and overwhelming to me. It's like, how do we fix the, the fucking world? But I want to know what your thoughts are on the idea of body neutrality, which is like, I, I have heard a lot of people say that. And I think sometimes it can be like a, a healthy thing. But I think a lot of people use it as like, I don't know. I've seen people use it as a way to be like, I don't want to think about my body. I don't want to just like, I can't attack this all the way. And I don't, I'm not trying to like shit on people who like body neutrality, who that's their, that's where they are right now. That's where they might feel comfortable or if they're using it in a different way than I am. But do you know what I mean? Have you experienced that as well? I've Yeah. I'm familiar with folks who use that model. And I think the thing that immediately popped in my brain is like a math equation, right? Yeah. If, you know, if we're at negative 10 and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to, you know, and instead of, you know, I mean, I'm, this is a terrible example. <laughs> Actually do math well. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> it <laughs> only works inside math. my brain. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, it just works inside my brain. Mm -hmm. But basically what I'm offering is if we're already 10 feet deep in a hole and some people are like, well, I'm just going to be neutral. Yeah. Generally, the people who are in, existing inside of neutral are people who were not as far deep down in the hole to begin with. Yeah. I've not seen neutrality does not bring us a full reversal of the of the negative aspects of bodily oppression. So yeah. again, this is the difference between what do I do that's my own individual journey and what am I doing that actually is here to uproot systems of yeah. oppression. Being neutral about your body, great if that works for yeah. you, but that yes. does not undo that it doesn't undo what a white supremacist exactly says exactly about my black body. I'm interested in a framework that undoes what it is that a white supremacist system says about my body and me just being neutral about my blackness doesn't do that. And so that's why that yes. doesn't work for me. Definitely. That makes total sense. And I say that without like, you know, I'm sure that there's like well thought out body neutrality stuff. But like when I found body neutrality or when I was comfortable with that term, it was when I was still edging away from diet culture. And it was like a waypoint for me. It was like, can I try this? Can I try not thinking anything? That seems like I really hard, but I'll try it, you know? And then I was able to go further. But I, you know, again. And I am a firm believer in, you know, like find your mile markers. Absolutely. If there's a, if there's a rest stop to radical self-love, take it. Because it's yeah. an exhausting journey trying to de-indoctrinate ourselves yes. in these really violent, vicious systems. But I'm a deep believer, and I say this in the first chapter of the book, that there is a, an aisle, you know, there is a porch <laughs> far more beautiful and far yes. more luscious and far more verdant than just being neutral about my. I don't want to be neutral about myself. I want to love myself. Yeah. And I want a world that treats me like it loves me. Yes. And I'm willing to fight for a world that's going to treat me like it loves me. I don't need to be treated neutrally. I also think sometimes people, yes, I think sometimes people use it when they're confused, when they aren't thinking about radical self-love, they're just thinking about regular self-love or self-acceptance or like self-confidence. Because those things are really hard to reach for when you're still like in 
everything, when you're in everything, and it feels like I could never get to saying I love my belly, I love my shoulder, or whatever. When you're thinking about it that way, you got to make the switch. Absolutely. But here's the other thing, too. If you think about radical self-love, not as like someplace you're trying to get to, but instead of something that was stolen from you that you want back right like it's actually not about me like trying to find radical self-love it is about what are the things that people have intentionally put in the front of my radical self-love so that I can't get to it and no you will move this shit out of my way so that I can have what it is that is rightfully mine yes for me that makes it easier for me to fight for my radical self-love when I realize it's something that is being intentionally kept from me so that other people can profit. Absolutely. Well, first, that's also helpful for me. Like in your in the book, you use the metaphor of like a tree, like, you know, like it would, if an acorn dropped and a tree grew, it would just grow naturally. It doesn't need all this like shit in the way. And that's like a much easier way, especially for somebody who was in the achievement ladder, was raised in the achievement ladder. It's like, that's, that is so helpful to hear, to hear like, oh, it's there. I just have to like uncover. That's so different than like, okay, I got to I got to go. I got to go. Yes, exactly. And the uncovering is like, again, it's not about like, I have to like excavate something that's buried deep in me. It's I have to remove things that these external things that the world has put there yes. that aren't supposed to be there anyway. Like, oh, I've been duped. <laughs> I've been taken advantage of and I don't want to be duped anymore. Yes. So I'm yeah. going to remove all the things you all, you know, tried to put in my way. Okay, so now I want to turn back to the new chapter and the things that you've added in. So tell me about what you added in and why and how you want us to be using those things. Yeah, so the things that I added in, I really wanted to kind of expand what people understood as how we can live radical self-love. I am not the only person in the world directing radical self-love. It is a term that I have always used and I recognize that it is a part of a much larger pathway of liberatory practice that I believe gets us ultimately a more just, equitable, and compassionate world. Yes. The world I want. And I'm just like, what are the strategies? And so in the chapter, I begin to share a lot of folks that I sort of call candle keepers, right? They're the people who are lighting the path. And, you know, in that section, I include Adria Marie Brown's work on pleasure activism. I include uh, Leah Lakshmi Piepsna Samarsina and her work around disability justice. I talk about Egioma's work around race. And so there are all of these places where it's like, there are lots of people talking about the various aspects of how we might live a more just, equitable, and compassionate world, which to me is a world of radical self-love. So I spend some time talking about those folks. I also talk about what does it look like to actually put practices into, like, to work in our regular lives. I think that to the point you just made a little while ago of like, right, oh, it feels so overwhelming thinking about like, how are we going to take down these systems? And what I really wanted to illustrate is that it really is the power of us individually in aggregate that does that work, that each of us has a sphere of power and influence in some place in our life where we can be practicing these things and that it has impact. And so I share the story of my editor at Barrett Kohler, uh, Jeevan, and how Jeevan's adoption of these ideas of radical self-love 
transformed the way that he showed up to work and became part of an ecosystem of how his organization shifted and changed. Yeah. It's all possible. I loved watching. I was like, oh, you know, it's in some ways, the first edition was me positing a theory that I had just started testing out. Right. And I had tested it out in my spaces, but it was really beautiful to be like, oh, this really works on other people. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for being my guinea pig. (laughs) (laughs) This actually works. Yes. And so I wanted to share like, oh, this actually works and here's how it works. And then the the last sections of, of that new chapter are, all right, how do we do an individual inventory of our own lives around these places of oppression and exploitation. And then what can we actively do on a daily basis to start shifting and changing those so that we can be part of systems change in the world? Yeah. It's helpful to think about it as like, what's in your sphere? Because when I think about it, like, how do we convince like the CEOs of Fortune 500 companies to have so you know it's like, that's not gonna happen you know what I mean <laughs> like and here's the thing is that the problem is we start thinking there and it makes us miss our like you know our racist uncle who's actually a mortgage broker yes totally who's keeping mortgages from black people but we're not having the conversation with him because we worried about how we're gonna dismantle Jeff Bezos yes start with your <laughs> uncle <laughs> go home and have a conversation start with your life yeah your life first because yeah. it is from our lives that all the other things raise. I mean, I've seen that with the podcast that like just saying what feels true for me and what has resonated for me has been what's helped people get to what what it is for them, especially because I know that like, I mean, radical self-love doesn't necessarily all have to be about like food and eating and weight and stuff. That's just our lens because this is the podcast about being fat. But like if someone had tried to tell me when I was like, watching The Biggest Loser, trying to lose weight again, doing all this shit. Someone was like, you just need radical self-love. I would have been like, fuck you. Like, there's no way I would have listened. So like, what did help was seeing other people feeling happy and being like, oh, I kind of want to do that. You know, nobody convinced me about it. I had to, I had to buy in. So like, when I think about that's what makes me worried about like, well, how will we, you know, like, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm, and then, so it helps to come back to like, okay, yeah, I just have to like do it for myself and see where I can help others around me because that's what will get there, hopefully. Right. Well, here's what we forget. And, you know, I just said this a few minutes ago. I'm going to say it again. And I guess. Yes, please. If, if, <laughs> if nothing else, what 2020 taught us is that things are contagious. you can spread some stuff you can spread some stuff real 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 fast and what I would offer is that we really can learn a lot about the way we as humans function through this lens of contagion because the truth of the matter is we have always been and always will be spreading something that's the nature of societies and so we have it's just that we have historically been spreading body shame and oppression yes and what is being offered is that my own individual radical self-love journey is just as contagious as my individual self-loathing. Yes. And so if it is indeed contagious, then when I take up radical self-love, just like you said, it's less about somebody coming and convincing you. It's about seeing a possibility and then being like, is yes. it a possibility for me? Yes. You know, it's the reason why it was important 
for me to be naked on the cover of the book. Yeah. You know, and I was, and I tell the story in the second edition of how the book cover came to be the book cover. Yes. And I was terrified. I was like, Mm -hmm. you want me to do what? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yes. But But what people needed to see was like, oh, there is a fat black bald woman on the cover of this book. And I think that's magnificent. Yeah. Because you look good on it. And it's the perfect cover because it's like, oh my God, she looks like glowing. She looks like her is what, like, you know what I mean? That's when I look at it, I'm like, oh my God, she's like showing us herself is the feeling that you get from it. All of a sudden there's a like, oh. Yeah. Hmm. That looks nice. Me? Yeah, that seems cool. That's weird. Maybe, you know, all we start to, we start to become inquisitive about our own journeys. Yes. That is how it starts to spread. Totally. Okay. I'm wondering if you, I'm wondering, I said I'm wanting and wondering at the same time. I'm wanting if you can tell us about some of the work that you've done with The Body is Not an Apology and with your other, like when you've been going around talking about this book, what are some of the things that you've done like in communities and what have you enjoyed doing and, and found important to do while you've been on your journey with this? Oh, but I mean, I do a lot of talking. <laughs> I do a lot yes. of talking about radical self-love yes. in lots and lots and lots of places, which is always fun. It's been really beautiful seeing people find themselves in the work. And that to me has been the highlight. It's like, oh, yeah, my intention was that this be work for everybody and everybody. And when I get out into the world, I really get to see that. I really, yes. really get to see that. The During my very first book tour, a woman named Sheltree who has passed away now, was the sort of, um, she introduced me and she had coordinated this particular book tour stop. And she was a fat, disabled Black woman. And she just talked about what it meant to read a book where she saw and understood herself. And I sat in the audience and I was just like, this is exactly why I wrote this book. I wrote this book so that somebody might pick it up and see themselves. And so, you know, to me, that's still one of the most precious moments. About a year later, she passed away, you know, and I just remember her as such a visible manifestation of what I hoped this work might do in the world. And so every time I get to see that, that's been the, that's been the highlight of of it and watching people put it to work. Like I said, when, when I was like, Oh, Jeevan is a whole radical self-love ambassador now. Yes. 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 You know, when I hear people start talking and using the language and challenging thoughts and ideas and saying, Oh, I was doing this. And then I thought about this and then I did something different. And I'm like, Yes. Radical self-love has the ability to change the world. And I'm watching it in real time. I love it. I love everything that you do. Everyone I have on the podcast, I'm just like, I just want to fan out over this person because I just like, (laughs) it's like my personal fan club. But my, my friend and roommate is a dating mindset coach, basically. And she has the first thing she has everyone do is read your book. And it's been interesting to hear she's like, some people get really, they're like, I can't do it. It's so like, it makes people mad. And I was like, oh, my God, I, I mean, I read this at a point when I was already like into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's such an interesting reaction to me. People like throw the book and shit. Yeah. I knew that would happen. I knew it. Like, I love that because I love it's very interesting. First of all, I didn't know that there was anybody having a dating mind, you know, like, yes, (laughs) using the book. It's fascinating. Like, it's the people who you know, in the professional realm who use this work is always really interesting. And I'm not surprised that dating mindset 
that her clients would be people who get mad, right? Because so much of this work is about, it is confrontational in some way. It is like, oh, I've got to actually begin to be an inquiry about my beliefs, about my own self and where they came from. And when a therapist hands you this book, you've already walked into a therapist's office. If an eating disorders coach or someone hands you this book, you're already in a relationship. You're already on a road that was like, I'm going to go deal with something. And here is somebody offering me a new tool. When you're like, I just want a boo. (laughs) I came to you because I'm ready to have a boo. I'm not, that is not necessarily an invitation to, I'm ready to deal with all of my own beliefs about not enoughness that are in the way of me and what it is I desire. So I'm not surprised that people are like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and get- that's how, I mean, it work, It works. It's like a good litmus test for who's ready to do the work that she's doing with them. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And my hope has always been, and folks have shared with me that this has been true, is that they throw the book and then something eventually calls them back. And then they come back to it. Oh, yeah. It just takes a while for it to, I mean, I was very mad when I first started getting into which eventually you realize the anger is like, I can't believe I've been buying into this shit for so long. Like, that's what the anger really is. Like when I first started following body positive Instagrammers, like I followed my friend Carissa Enneking on Instagram. She's like one of the first fat Instagram people I followed. And I remember like seeing some of her like self-love posts and being like, Like, it was hard for me to sit with them at the beginning. They made me mad, too, even though I was intentionally trying to understand and get there and make a different choice. So I get it, but it's just, like, it's so, I don't know, I feel like it's so telling that it makes such a big reaction. Like, it's it's a good flint. Yeah, it's like, oh, I touched something. If you touch it and it's tender, it wants to be healed. It's a nerve. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, I'm wondering if you have had like challenges with people who you know in real life about like from this, if like you've had trouble or like come across trouble and how you've dealt with that and doing what you talk about in your last chapter, trying to spread it on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I live the kind of life where, you know, I have all kinds of people at all intersections of identity in my life. And because I talk about all bodies, what it does is it highlights the places where people who may live at a particular intersection of identities don't have an experience. So I have friends who understand racism, but are very fat phobic. Yeah. I've had trans partners who I had to talk about fat phobia with. Yes. I've had fat friends I've had to talk about white supremacy with. Yes. You know, so 
we don't see we don't see what we don't see. Yes. And I have spent a lot of time helping people move through the connections. Like actually the same thing it is that you are deriding right now in this conversation, the same set of reasons are the exact same reasons that those people use to deride why you shouldn't exist and why your yeah. body's not okay. And yeah. so can you see how it's all part of one big system? And so, yes, I, the answer to that question without, you know, outing my friends in their particular cup is yes, I've had those conversations many, many times. And I employ the same things it is that I put in the, at least I try, yeah. you know, and again, I'm as imperfect as any other human. And so, yes, have some of those things just evolved into straight up arguments? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They have. Okay. <laughs> they have. And we've come back to each other and yeah. come back and said, all right, here's, here's what I feel like you weren't hearing. Yeah. Here's how can I hear you? Right. And so really using again, those conversation agree, those unapologetic conversation agreements and saying, all right, where in my own life, am I not being in enough inquiry about how I'm complicit in this system? Yeah. You know, it's always the work. It's always the work. What of all of the tools that you offer us, do you find most useful for yourself? If you ever have moments, I, I'm sure you are much more along the lines than I am already of like, I don't feel real doubt anymore, but there's shadows of doubt. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, I never doubt that at my core, I'm good now. It's just sometimes it, you know, sometimes it comes. It's you know? conditioning. I mean, yeah. as long as we live in a society that still parrots those messages to us, yeah. they will pop up in our brains. They will yes. still show and, you know. They show up in my brain. Absolutely. The difference is I recognize them not as my own thoughts. Uh-huh, I yeah. recognize them as indoctrinations given to me by a system that really desires me to keep these beliefs. Yes. And so my biggest, you know, I think my most helpful tool is that, is that I understand the difference outside voice and my inside voice between the voice of the system and my radical self-love voice. And so as soon as something starts talking disparagingly over my existence, I already know it's not mine, which yes. I can relate to it from a bit of distance. I can relate to it like, oh, you're, you're out there trying to get in here. <laughs> you're not actually in here. Yeah. Now, okay, I can impl- employ some of these tools that I have built up over the years to deal with you visitor at my internal doorstep. Yes. It's interesting. I was thinking before this about how I have tried to start applying radical self-love concepts, ideas, the process to my, I was diagnosed with uh, ADHD a couple years ago, which was like, I sought out that diagnosis, like, like every other fucking medical diagnosis I got as a fat person, I had to push for it. And there's been so much unlearning I've had to do about why I I process or work the way that I do and what is okay or not okay about those. And I've tried to apply radical self-love to it. And that what you're saying like about that outside voice has been one of the things that's become more clear to me is that when I can separate in my head, when I can recognize it, Like, for example, I went to a, like, fancy college. I, like, grew up white, middle class, upper middle class, rich, depending on which part of my family I was with. You know, I always knew I was going to college. I knew I was going to be achieving something, quote, unquote. So when I run into the things that ADHD creates that get in the way of how I feel because of all of that, I should be able to process information, act, 
get to-do list items done, okay? Not things that have to do with me as a person, but have to do with interacting with the world and you have to get this done, you have to do the dishes and you have to do that and just the, the shit that makes your day happen. When I'm not careful or when I'm not watching for it, the outside like neurotypical like do you have to do this then you have to do that and you have to do it this way and if you don't do it that way then you're stupid and like you're bad and this is the way you've always been and you can't do it and why aren't you good as everyone else who can do it this way and you even know you have ADHD now so like why can't you use the tools and blah 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 and when I can recognize it as that doesn't have anything to do with me yes that doesn't have anything to do with what I need to do which is to like be like okay what do I know about myself? Am I having trouble? Do I need to ask my boyfriend for help? He's happy to help me. Do I need to like go meditate for a minute? That's fine. I'm allowed. When I can do that, then it's so much easier. But it's so it's harder to apply in this arena that I'm not used to. It's much harder than it is to apply to my like body stuff. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, because you have a bit more practice in your body yeah. stuff. Like all of it is a muscle that we're building, right? We are developing the ability to translate this skill across the various areas of our identities. The thing for me that I think is always helpful is I'm a deep believer in like name the system that's talking to me right now. Like uh-huh. oh, that, that voice is capitalism. That voice is capitalism and capitalism's demand that I be productive in a particular kind of way to produce profit for them. Again, I am very much motivated by self-righteousness. So (laughs) (laughs) I just am. I just, and I'm like, how can I use that to my benefit? And so when I feel like I'm being taken advantage of by a system that wants to exploit and oppress me, I get real defiant. That's how I notice that thing. Like, oh, that thing wants me to do something for it. Yes. It does anything for me. So what will I do for me right now? You know? Yeah. I think my like most genuine childhood motivation voice is like, I'll show you. Like, I'll, you know, (laughs) like that's very much who I was as a kid. But like, I think it's interesting how easy it is when you haven't gone through everything, when you don't have the practice with it to go to like, well, fine, fuck you. I'll be the opposite of this. I'll hurt myself to hurt you. But it doesn't actually help. That doesn't actually help at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm very much not a, I will, I'm not a, I will hurt myself to hurt you. Because I also recognize that particularly for me inside of this fat, black, neurodivergent, queer body, the system cares less if I hurt myself. Yes. Like the system desires me to hurt myself. You know, so my I'll show you is actually my thriving, my loving all the things this thing says you shouldn't love. And consequently, that's why you're not worthy of life. And I'm yeah. like, actually, I'll show you. yeah. Yeah, I'll show you and prove it. We're like kind of the big, (laughs) I love, (laughs) my mom tells a story about me when we went to our first church in Pennsylvania when we moved there and it was like the Easter service and they called all the kids to the front and I was like six. And when they were like, what do you think of the story of Jesus rising from the dead? And I said, prove it. And my mom was like, holy shit. Oh my God. And I was like, "Mm, sorry, prove it. Mm, I don't believe you. Which is like, it's a useful perspective when I can harness it the right way, when it's not self-harming, when it's like, why should I do this? Why should I do that? Like, what what do I want to do for myself? But I think uh, definitely white women, which I am a part of that tr- tribe, as we like to say, oh, terribly, <laughs> is that group? <laughs> Just a group of folks, right? Yes. 
that's the worst caption word. I really do think because of all the things we've talked about, capitalism, like fake solutions, like wanting to maintain status, but like knowing that you, you know, you have to work on yourself, blah, blah, blah. I think a lot of white women are very like can be tricked by like woo, woo, woo stuff that's not really self-love. Do you know what I'm saying? I think everyone can be tricked by this. But I like, I think it's like a particular privileged white woman thing to be like, I love myself. And like, here's how I'm doing this. And it's like, that's not fucking it at all. Have you come across a lot of this wellness shit? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I certainly do. And I think, yeah, I saw this meme the other day that I thought was really powerful. And it was like, woo woo is a term that is used to minimize and, and, and sort of make shallow what are actually really deep spiritual principles and practices Mm -hmm. that people of color have used for years. And I think that what happens is that there is a desire to feel connected to something without having to do the work it actually takes to be connected to something. Yes. Because in order to be connected to something, you have to actually examine all the places where you're disconnected. And I think inside of white woman spiritual bypass community is what yes, I like. Yes, yes. Oh, that. that is such a good term. Yes. <laughs> you know, inside of this white woman spiritual bypass community is I want to skip from not feeling good to feeling love and light. And I don't want to actually have to do any of the work that was in between me and love and light to begin with. Because the work that's in between me and love and light is actually having to examine where I've been complicit in systems of harm, having to understand and make peace with my privilege and whether or not I'm leveraging it or not leveraging it. I actually have to become intentional about knowing and understanding the difference between my experience in the world and other people's experiences in the world. I have to get out of my own shit. Yes. (laughs) In order to get there. And what people want is to skip all of that and just go to, you know, bows and flows of angel hair and rewriting the lilies and, you know, and, you know, I'm so great in my Lulu Lamont, you know, yoga class where I skipped all of the other substantive things upon which these practices are built, you know, and which is why right now, like there are literally overlaps between right wing conservatives and white woman spiritual community oh yes it makes total sense yes these people were all at these people were all in dc at the insurgents oh yes like there's a reason why the guy who took the picture was calling himself a trump shaman yes 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 there is a co-optation of spiritual principles sitting inside of a completely uninterrogated system of power and privilege and violence. Yes. And when you merge those things together, you get this sort of traduction of, yeah. of privilege and <laughs> violence. It's like, you know, a Franken's, it's like a wellness Absolutely. It feels like a fake version, a fake attempt that is actually like self-defense of capitalism and all the other isms. But if I can co-opt and take all of these spiritual principles to then make this particular system of dominance okay, then the system of dominance must be okay. Yeah. Because I figured out a way to, to use these other terms to validate it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly it. I'm going to have to write down that term you used. You should put that on shirts. White woman spiritual bypass community. Yes. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I have a vague question for you. That's the kind that I hate in interviews. So I'm sorry, but I'm asking it anyways, which is, (laughs) which is just like, what is something about your work that you 
Is there anything that you feel like you haven't explored yet that you probably will, that you're like looking forward to doing that that's like not out in public yet? And more deeply, is there anything that you are afraid of doing for yourself yet? Is even you, are you afraid of doing anything? <laughs> wow. Uh, these are, yeah, great big questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not big. That's not big at all, actually. That's pretty specific. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> so I can definitely say that I am really excited about and have been for, I would say for the last, you know, 10 or 11 months, really exploring what is the relationship between spirituality and radical self-love and seeing in really powerful ways, like how is it that we interrupt, you know, this spiritual bypass and actually create grounded, rooted spiritual practice that furthers our radical self-love work. Oh my God, please let me buy that book. Please sell that book to me. (laughs) Please let me pay you for that book. Oh, I need that. (laughs) But because what I've always been clear when I first wrote The Body is Not Apology is I knew I always meant the body as a physical, spiritual, emotional, mental manifestation. I understood the body in its fullness, right? Not just in our corporal beings. And so I'm excited to talk more about this spiritual body and what does it mean Ah, to not be an apology and and our spiritual body. So that's a place that I've definitely been leaning into. And also I'm becoming way more interested in astrology and relationship between the planets and our bodies, these bodies, these celestial bodies and our bodies. Um, So yeah, those are places where I'm definitely exploring and I imagine that I will continue to do deeper and deeper work in those areas. And what am I still sort of afraid of? You know, I, I don't, hmm. You're like, sorry. um... It's not true. I have all (laughs) kinds of fear. Let me be clear. I have all kinds of fear. What, what is generally true for me is that um, I'm never allowed to sit in my fear for too long. You know, just the presence of it is its own like, prompt to go in its in the direction of it and so you know I've I am coming out of a season of tremendous upheaval in my life where it was like the universe was like everything you're afraid of we're gonna give you that (laughs) every single month for 11 months (laughs) yeah so I'm really like oh okay I'm very very fatigued (laughs) of, of of even having to think about fear at this point yes and so I know that, yes, there are all kinds of fears. Right now, I feel like I'm being given a mini break because I've just finished, you know, like a triathlon of facing all the fears of loss, all the fears of rejection and abandonment, you know, the the fear of isolation. I mean, I think COVID has given that to us in a huge way, right? It's like, oh, what if I'm alone? Yeah, what if you are? Because you're going to (laughs) be, right? Right? We've got, we have gotten to sit in all of those things. And so- in this right now moment, I don't know what the next set of fears are going to be, but I'm sure they're getting ready to, they're around the corner, but I'm not going to worry about them right now because yeah. I have a little bit of a reprieve. And so I'm going to lean into to my break. Yes. I mean, it's, you're basically sound like my roommate who I was talking about before. One thing we talk about sometimes is like when I have a lot of anxiety or she has a lot of anxiety, we try to remind each other that we don't need to be prepared for the thing that comes. We just have to know that we can handle it because we're, we're, we're ready in ourselves. We're prepared as we are. Yeah. My friend says, stay ready. You ain't got to get ready. So I try to stay ready. Yes. That's hard. Okay. I have a couple fun things I want to mention, which for one thing is I, you're doing a dance class. Tell me about this dance thing. This looks so fun. It's it's radical movement. We have a class. Actually, 
when I get done talking with you. <laughs> so Radical Movement is every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at okay. 3 p.m. on Mondays, 3 p.m. on Wednesdays, and 5 p.m. on Fridays. And basically, it's just a, a Zoom dance class where there's an instructor every week. We rotate instructors, and that person teaches us a dance or facilitates the space for us to dance freely or whatever it is they decide that they're going to do. It's all BIPOC instructors. Right now we have instructors through June. You can just sign up whenever and come and dance. Wow. I'm definitely going to do this. This sounds so fun. (laughs) It's so much fun. And, you know, for me, it was, I wanted to move my body in ways that were joyful. It made me happy. And I wanted to do it consistently. And I'm very clear, if I don't make something that makes me responsible to other people to attend, I won't do it. (laughs) So I was like, I guess I'm going to have to start a dance party. Oh, my God. I love it. It's been (laughs) awesome. It's been awesome. Usually we have anywhere from 40 to 60 people so far. Amazing. And we just dance together. It's really, really fun. I definitely want to join. I have found that I miss... I don't like exercise classes at all. Those were ruined by my my eating disorder. But I do like exercise. I like doing, you know, moving. And it's been hard during quarantine. It has been hard. So this will be very fun. I'm very excited to so do this. It's fun. It's 45 minutes, three days a week of just joyful movement in our bodies oh and all kinds of bodies. Wow. What else do you want people to know about before we wrap up with some recommendations? Um, So I really see radical self-love as the work to change the world. You know, it is changing shape and morphing into all kinds of cool different things. Right now, I am inside of a project with two other co-founders, Kay Williams and Katerina Norton, called Buyback Black Debt, uh, which is about transforming the structural and systemic debt that Black people have by transferring white wealth. Oh, wow. I want to look at into this. I mean, it's the easiest thing you've ever heard of. If you have wealth, we will pair you with a black person with debt and you get to clear their debt and you clear your spiritual debt and they clear their material debt. And, and it is through a process of relationship. Part of what we're very clear about is it's not just about throwing money at things. It's about the fact that we are in an imbalanced relationship in the world and that through our principles at Buyback Black Debt, we seek to restore right relationship between human beings. And one of the material ways to do that is through this process of buying back black debt. And for me, that is a profound manifestation of radical self-love work. It's like when I have right relationship with myself, it inspires me to begin to create right relationship in the world. If you want to know more about Buyback Black Debt, I invite you to just email us at info at buybackblackdebt.org and we will tell you all about the ways that you can get involved. Wow. I absolutely want to do that. She's all fat family. I'm going to be doing that. And if you want some encouragement, just send me an email and I will do it with you. So please get involved. I love it. I love that the She's All Fat family might come together collectively yes. to be a part of Buyback Black Debt. That brings me great joy. I love that. Yeah. So that's one that's one key way. Do that. Buy the second edition, pre-order the workbook. Yes. Oh, the workbook. So exciting. Yeah. And do this radical self-love work together. Let's do it. And then I am currently writing another book for kids called The Book of Radical Answers that I yes. know you already know. I'm very excited about this. And The Book of Radical Answers is an opportunity to have young people's questions between the ages of 10 and 14 answered honestly, authentically, with the information that is in service of their highest good in any area. So questions about politics, we want questions about 
bodies. We want questions about relationships. We want questions about food. We want questions about, we want questions about what it is to be a 10 to 14 year old human and what's on your mind. We are soliciting questions from young people. You can send your questions to thebookofradicalanswers.com. There's a form and you can submit as many questions as you like and maybe your question will make the book. Oh my God. And if you're a parent with a kid between the ages of 10 and 14 and your kid asked you a really juicy question that you are still like, I'll get back to you later, baby. <laughs> that question. <laughs> go go to the thebookofradicalanswers.com and submit the question as well. And like wow. I like to say like, your auntie Sonia or your fairy godmother Sonia will, along with other experts, answer the question. I love that. We will have to have you back. We're working on a parenting episode soon. So we'll have to have you back to talk about that. I would love that. Please, please, please. Great. We'll email you right away. Okay. Do you wrap up? Do you have any other recommendations or things you've been obsessed with recently that you want to pass on to the audience? (laughs) I'm going to pass on ridiculous things. Yes, please. Empire on Netflix. Oh my God, it's on my list. It's on my list. I'm so excited. Oh my God. I'm not a reality TV show person and I'm super (laughs) not a reality TV show. Like, yeah, I don't watch like Real Housewives or any of these things, but I absolutely needed some escapist something. Bling Empire is the right amount of complete like vapidness and wealth and capitalism culture, but with human like real human stories underneath it. It's like, oh, money does not erase whether or not your daddy abandoned you. So there are these really like interesting stories underneath these utterly ridiculous lives. And so Link Empire, totally loved it. Watch that. What else am I into? You know, I'm into the ocean. I really am. Uh, Okay, well, okay, well, (laughs) you're in Maui right now. I'm saying YouTube some videos of the ocean and just play it in the background and see how it makes you feel. Oh my god, I lo- I also love the ocean. Yes. Sometimes we have to make, you know, our our faux versions of things until we can get to the real thing. Yeah, that's really, you know, I'm just out here trying to trying You're to make chilling. it. That's it's what- your best life. You're talking about your incredible work. You're watching playing empire and you're by the ocean like you're doing it It sounds great thank you thank you for reminding me that i am actually living my best life (laughs) yeah it sounds amazing that in context (laughs) well thank you so much for being on the show i am so happy that we had you on you are a big role model for me i love your work and i'm so proud that we got to have you on the show thank you so much it's a joy thanks for having me Okay, I wanted to give you an example of what a call-in might sound like for this, our first hashtag just fat things episode. We'll have many more just that things. Don't worry. Ring, ring. Hi, this is Hannah. I'm calling for the hashtag just fat things bathroom episode. Okay, something that I hate is when I have to poop in a public bathroom. I have IBS, so sometimes it's a bad poop. And then when I come out, I feel like people are judging me. Like, oh, of course the fat person stunk up the bathroom. And it's like, I didn't stink up the bathroom because I'm fat. I stunk up the bathroom because I have IBS. Hashtag, uh, just fat things. Let me know you're just fat things if you feel comfortable. Bye. And that's our show. 
Don't forget to give us a call at 213-375-5023 and tell us about a hashtag just fat thing you experience in the stinker. The stinker. <laughs> oh my God, Lynn wrote this. So <laughs> she loves potty words. LOL. Okay. And of course, we can't forget to shout out our patrons. Thank you to Jen Jackson, Audrey Pendleton, Sarah Kramer, Anna Weaver, Eva Janata, IVS, Katie Burke, Anna Williams, Funky Queers, and Lee Estelando. We couldn't make the show without you. See you next time. She's All Fat was created by me, Sophie Carter-Khan, and April K. Quio, who graduated. We are an independent production. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash she's all fat pod. When you pledge to be a supporter, you'll get all sorts of goodies and extra content please make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's super important in making sure people find the show so we can grow the family. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to the stuff we mentioned today. And don't forget to send us your questions at fyi at she'sallfatpod.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 213-375-5023 and we might even play it on the pod. Our episode ads are done in partnership with Acast. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, you can get started at acast.com. Our theme music was composed and produced by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. Our website was designed by Jesse Fish and our logo is by Hannah Sanger. Lynn Barbera co-produced and edited this episode. Yelly Cruz is our magical junior producer. Our thin crony forever is Maria Vertel. I'm our host and co-producer. Our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter handles are at She's All Fat Pod. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Stay safe. We love you. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.